The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. This is the testimony given by John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The Gospel of the Lord. So all of us have either heard of or seen in person or in pictures what we all know as the Statue of Liberty, that statue with that lady holding the torch and with her crown. And what I find very interesting about this statue is that it was actually not made in America. It was actually made in France. In fact, it was a gift from the people of France. So in the 1880s, what happened was France wanted to give this gift to America in celebration of their 100 years of independence. And so what they did was they gathered donations from the people, and when they raised the funds, they built the statue, but in France, in Paris, I believe. And it was 93 meters tall. And then after that, they figured, okay, how are we going to transport this to America? So what they did was they broke it down into 300 different carts or crates, and then they put it on the boat, and then they shipped it to America. And once it got to America, the Americans at the same time were trying to build this pedestal, that stand on which the statue was on. And in 1886, they had a dedication celebration to receive this gift. And so when I think about Advent, I always think about the Statue of Liberty because in Advent, we are preparing to receive a great gift. But every great gift requires great preparation. Every great gift requires great preparation. And that's what the church wants for us during the season of Advent. She's going to prepare us for this gift of Jesus coming. And so she desires that we receive this great gift, but with great preparation. Because if we don't have great preparation, we won't be able to receive the fullness of this gift. Think about it. I think about how if the Americans weren't ready to receive this gift, right? The French just dropped off these 300 crates and be like, oh, what's this? Right? They didn't have the pedestal ready them for them to place it upon, or they didn't celebrate it with the due celebration that was required for a great gift. And so in the same way too, the church in the season of Advent has been very strategic. 
In the first week of Advent, the church gives us the aim and the goal of what we're aiming for. And that is we're preparing for the coming of Christ, his second coming. Then in the second and third week, she helps us prepare for his coming by giving us the figure of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is the one who's going to help us receive this great gift with great preparation. And so reflecting upon the life of St. John the Baptist and his words and his actions, I find three clues in which how he prepares us for this great gift. And so the first clue is this. St. John the Baptist signals to us who is coming. Of course, we all know who is coming, but St. John the Baptist makes something very specific. He says, there's one who is coming who is greater than I, and I am unworthy to untie the thong of his sandal. And so what John is saying, he's making a cultural reference, as we know. The untying of a sandal was a duty that was given to the lowest of slaves. And so when John is saying, I can't even, and I'm not even worthy to untie the thong of his sandal, then John is also saying, I'm not even worthy to be whoever's coming, his lowest slave. I'm not even worthy to do that. In some ways, John is saying, I'm not even worthy to be in his presence. And of course, John is speaking of the coming of the Son of God, of Jesus Christ. But John is more than just saying, God is coming. John is saying, the awesome God is coming. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that helps us realize this in a deeper way is called the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord is not being fearful of the Lord. Right? Jesus doesn't want us to be fearful of God. That's what we call servile fear. Servile fear is being fearful of God and his punishments. But the proper fear we're called to have as Christians is a reverential or a filial fear. This is the type of fear in which we fear offending the one that we love. That is the fear God is calling us to, that we love this person so much and the reverence for his dignity that in his honor, that we're afraid to offend God in that way. Not out of anxiety, but of love for God. Because sometimes in our culture, we emphasize a lot on the imminence of God who is present with us, which is true. But then we forget to balance that with the transcendence of God. God who is greater than anything that can be thought. God who is infinite in his majesty and his glory. We need to keep those two together, but in tension. In fact, by recognizing and realizing God's infinite majesty and glory, we fully understand and appreciate the greater beauty when God comes down and he descends to us. Because then now we see that he comes out of love. So that's the first clue. Who is coming? This God. This God who is infinite in majesty. But the second thing that St. John the Baptist points to us is, why is this God coming? St. John the Baptist does something very interesting. He's baptizing by the River Jordan. Now, if you're a Jewish person, you're like, John, why did you make us go all the way to the Jordan River? The Jordan River is not beside Jerusalem. It's a couple hundred kilometers. And so what's happening is that there's water in Jerusalem. He could have baptized people there. So why did John go to the Jordan River? Well, if you know the Jewish story, we know that when they were freed from Egypt in the first exodus, they left the land of Egypt, they went up Mount Sinai, they made a covenant with God, then they went back down and they wandered in the desert for 40 years. 
And then after the 40 years of wandering, they went into the promised land, Jerusalem. But in order to get to Jerusalem, they had to cross a certain river, which is known as the Jordan River. And so for the Jewish people, crossing across the Jordan River was a sign of entering and receiving the promises of God. And so the promises of God were a new temple, a new kingdom, and peace. But fast forward several thousand years to the time of Jesus, and they have neither of those things. They don't have a kingdom because they don't have a king. King Herod is not a Jewish king from the line of David. They don't have peace because they're being ruled over by the Roman Empire. And they also don't have a real temple because the temple that they have, even though it's present, is missing the Ark of the Covenant. And it doesn't have the presence of God in His glory dwelling with them. And so for the Jewish people who are getting baptized by John in the Jordan, in some ways they want to re-enter the promised land. They want to re-receive God's promises. In other words, they're asking God to make His promises anew. And that's the thing I want to emphasize. God wants to make His promises anew. He wants to make us new. That's why He's coming. There's a beautiful example of this in the Japanese culture. In the Japanese culture, they have something that's called kintsuji, which literally means golden seams. And in the Asian cultures, pottery is important because part of it is ceremonial or it's a gift from your ancestors. And so when it breaks, you don't just throw it away. And so in the Japanese tradition, what they do is that when this teacup breaks, they actually put the parts back together with glue, but the glue is mixed with gold. And so now that it's repaired, it's not just repaired, it's new. In fact, it's more beautiful. And that's what God wants to do with us. He knows that we're broken. And He doesn't just want to fix us. He wants to make us new, make us beautiful again. And that's the third key of St. John the Baptist. He invites us to be baptized in the water of repentance. He invites us to have the spirit of repentance, to give God permission to make us new. Because sometimes, you know, in confession, sometimes I hear this. They don't say it exactly. But sometimes we don't believe that God can make us new. Sometimes we feel like our past sins are so great that He can never truly forgive us. Or that our wounds are so deep that we'll be captive to our sins for the rest of our life. But that's what is repentance is about. Repentance is about believing that God can make us new, letting go of our old life, and giving God permission to make us new. And when you give God permission, He can truly make you more beautiful. There's a beautiful story about Bartolo Longo. He lived in the 1850s, and he, uh, he grew up in a Catholic family, and he was in Italy, but when, his, when he was at the age of 10, his mom passed away. And because of that wound, he was estranged from the church. He could never fully connect again with the church. So what happened was he eventually grew up, he went to the University of Naples, and he began to hate the faith. He began to curse the faith. In fact, he began started practicing these occult practices, which eventually led him to becoming consecrated as a satanic priest. He, gave, he literally gave his life to the devil to be a priest, a, a satanic priest. And because of that experience, he was engaged in obviously very horrible practices. But it wasn't good for him. He experienced depression, he had constant anxiety, and he had these horrible demonic visions coming to his mind. Eventually he got to the point where he needed help. 
So he talked to his professor. His professor said to him, do you want to be in an insane asylum or do you want to find peace? And Bartolo Longo knew that something had to change. And so his professor got him to talk to Father Albert, a Dominican priest. And he was able to speak to Father Albert. He was able to turn his life around, receive confession, and was received back again into the church. But even though he was received back into the church, he still felt like the clutches of the enemy was still upon him. In fact, he fell in great despair and was about to take his own life. But in his own prayer, right, his feeling that he could not be made new, he heard these words, the one who propagates the rosary shall be saved. I believe that was his, our Blessed Mother speaking to him, saying to him, you can be made new through my intercession with the rosary. And so Bartolo Longo did that. He promoted the rosary. He encouraged people to pray the rosary. In fact, he built a shrine to Our Lady of Pompeii in Pompeii, Italy, the shrine dedicated to Our Lady of the rosary. And not only that too, not only did he finally believe that he could be made new, he believed others could be made new too. He built an orphanage for children to give them a second chance. He helped these convict children to give them tools so that they could live a new life. And because of his heroic love for God and his heroic love for neighbor, he's now known as Blessed Bartolo Longo, a saint in the church. And so my brothers and sisters, this Advent, in order to receive a great gift, we need to have great preparation. And St. John the Baptist invites us to prepare by recognizing who is coming, by knowing why he's coming to make us new, and giving him permission to act in our lives. If God can turn a satanic priest into a blessed of the church, God can change your broken, wounded, addicted heart as well, and he can make you new. All you need to do is turn away from sin and give God permission to change your heart. And that's what he says in the book of Revelation. Behold, I make all things new.